0: Welcome to this edition of the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and welcome to our special post-Easter edition, as Easter was yesterday. Joining me today, live here in the studio that is my classroom, Pastor Phil Allen, pastor of the Daystar Christian Fellowship. Phil, welcome back. Well, thank you for having me back, Kevin. I enjoy doing this. Well, sometimes we can't find guests, and so we... You know, dig up the bottom of the barrel, and there you were. Right, and I'm generally there, so that's right. a good spot to look. And you're pretty much available, you know, you don't have much else to do. No. But no, no but anyway, we are talking about a thick conversation today, or a thick topic, uh, and by thick, I mean there's so much here that we could go through, and that is the topic of the atonement. So we just, we celebrated Easter yesterday. Well, you and I didn't celebrate, because I wasn't in church yesterday. I was right, away.
1: that was a missing um, piece.
0: Yes. A key missing piece. I'm I'm surprised the service was still able to go on. Just barely squeaked Uh, by. Yeah, my kids weren't there to interrupt, so it might have gone actually smoother, (laughs) considering what happened last week. But anyway, we're talking about the atonement, and the basic idea of the atonement is Christ paying
1: our sins on the cross. How do you define atonement? Well, I think that's exactly right, that the atonement, you know, obviously we could go back to Old Testament roots and the day of atonement and the sprinkling of blood, and and all of the the precursors to it, but I think especially with our understanding of the New Testament then, and our fuller understanding of, of, of God's plan of atonement, it's just the work that Jesus did that resulted in in our salvation, In, right. in our uh, in our in God's forgiving of us, and so uh, yeah, that's how that's how Grudem defines it in his systematic
0: theology. Uh, you and Grudem must think alike somehow. Hmm. Uh, the work Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation, mm-hmm. so the totality of Christ's work. We can make distinctions between his passive obedience, his death on the cross, and his active obedience, his life of obedience that not only uh, paid the price for our sins, but did what we could never do in our own lives.
1: Right, and they're both vital because because Jesus had to live a life we didn't live. He right. had to be righteous. He had to make every decision right all the way along in order to position himself to pay for our sins. And so, so he had to have that righteousness to take our unrighteousness on himself and pay for that. And so I think that it's important to understand it as a little more than just the death or even just the death and resurrection. The sinless life leading up to that is a is a vital component of it. Right. Sometimes we look at Jesus and— he I've heard the phrase a thousand
0: times he was born to die Mm -hmm. and while that's true he was also born to live there it wasn't just an accident that Jesus lived 33 or some odd years here on earth it wasn't just a precursor to the cross but it was an absolute necessity to again do what we could not do live the righteous life the perfectly obedient Christ uh, life that we absolutely could never possibly live right so we move to the scriptures and you referenced uh, in the Old Testament the day of atonement in Leviticus 16 we see that out can, can you kind of walk us through kind of what
1: basically that's all about Sure well it was that it was that one day a year yeah. where one person could enter the holy of holies where the where the ark of the covenant was yeah. God's God's mercy seat and and would take the blood of the lamb and sprinkle it on the mercy seat for the covering of of sin the cleansing of sin and it it was that and it, it was that incredibly restrictive when you think yeah. about it a holy of holy place where you simply could not go other than this one man one day a year for for one purpose which was which was was figuratively to carry the sins yeah. of the people into that and and to prove the offering with the blood on the mercy seat that's that's the old testament picture that god gives us of of what christ would ultimately do on the cross right so you have
0: a blood sacrifice a blood atonement that was only given by the high priest a blood atonement was absolutely necessary. In fact, that, that's kind of echoed in Hebrews yes, chapters yes. 9 and 10. Yes. Now, what the listener doesn't know is we just had a whole conversation <laughs> where I screwed up everything, every passage alluded to. So that's all been edited out the past five minutes. But in Hebrews chapter 9 and, and chapter 10, you have Christ pictured as the high priest coming into the temple and offering the perfect sacrifice once for all and there he sits having done everything necessary for our salvation for our redemption so you have those perfect kind of bookends and you know there's there's a lot of correlation between Leviticus and Hebrews yeah. um so the old testament looks for all of those sacrifices you know you think about the i don't want to get too grotesque but the gallons and gallons and gallons of blood yeah. that flowed through the streets of Jerusalem over years and years and years, and none of that could actually atone for sin perfectly, and all looked forward to this moment, the cross, where Christ does what, again, even the Levitical priesthood couldn't do.
1: Right, exactly, and I think, you know, obviously then understanding the plan of God, all of that Old Testament system was a picture Right. you know it was looking forward it was it was giving people a context to be able to look at jesus and what he did and say i get it yeah i i see what he's doing i see what this sacrifice means why he had to offer it um because if you didn't have that system i was i was walking through hebrews this was several years ago uh in a bible study and you know, it was interesting to me that there were several people in the Bible study that had just never really walked through the entirety of Scripture. Yeah. And, and Hebrews, without the context of Leviticus, right. without the context of the sacrificial system, just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And, um, and, and the sacrificial system without Christ is, is ineffective. It, yeah. it doesn't work. And so you have to have that context for it. So our sin demands a blood
0: atonement. Even going back to, to Genesis 3 and, and throughout, again, walking through the Old Testament, even before we got to the law, mm-hmm. you see this idea of sacrifice. And You know, with Adam and Eve, the, the blood of animals was shed so they could have a covering mm-hmm. over their own nakedness and what now is their own sin. Yeah. And so w- w- even with that in mind, Romans chapter 5 here we have the idea of someone who is dying for the sins of someone else. Mm-hmm. And so that's what makes all of this necessary. As I said, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. I think there's some familiar passages. But but the, but God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more we, be, we, will, be, we will be saved uh, by him. From the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? So His blood atonement—again, emphasis on blood—is what makes our justification possible, which makes our reconciliation. But I also—it's really an interesting phrase. Uh, much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. So Christ on the cross takes God's wrath towards sin. Um, And we can see elsewhere in in, in Romans, even Romans chapter 1, that the wrath of God is upon sin. Mm -hmm. And so at the cross, God absorbs the wrath of God for us
1: so that we can be reconciled to him. And I think that concept of of the cost of the cross the cost of forgiveness is so vital. Because we'll we'll rightly talk to people about about the the free gift of forgiveness. It's not something we earn and it isn't. Right. And it's not something we can pay for. But that doesn't mean nobody (coughs) paid for it. Right. And that and that sense that that it was extremely costly for Christ to go to the cross and to offer that sacrifice. And that that's what allowed God, that's what opened the door for God to extend that forgiveness to right. us um, is is just such a vital thing for us to grasp because grace isn't free. It's freely yeah. given, right? but it's not
0: free. Yeah, and that's really important because sometimes we water down the gospel in, that, in the sense of emphasizing it's you, it's about you, it's about you, and, and this is so free, but... Someone had uh, the essence of the gospel is you're so bad that someone Mm -hmm. had to die for you. You're so messed up that somebody
1: else had to die for your mistake. That's a heavy burden. It is a heavy burden, and that and that whole notion, you know, the beginning of the of the Romans Road. Yeah, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Right. You know, it's not. And I think that's a. I know it's jumping forward a little bit, but you know, I think one of the application points of the atonement that we sometimes miss is 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 good, but is is grappling with the weight of sin. Yeah. That that God had to pay a really heavy price. Right. To forgive us, and, a, and and the notion of the atonement and all that leads to it is a vital thing for us to wrestle with, yeah. with the reality of sin and what it really is, and that it does incur God's wrath. Right, it's just not at us if we yeah. accept that
0: forgiveness. Galatians three talks about Christ taking upon Himself our curse, a curse that was meant for us, yeah. and the reason why we're cursed is because of our sin. You mentioned the Romans Road. And I, I think that's a, it's, a, it's a good method of evangelism. Mm-hmm. I use it quite a bit. In fact, it's the thing I use the most. But for much of my time uh, in evangelism, my earlier days, I can remember going through that very quickly. It's oh, yeah. the idea, hey, uh, you know, for all sin I'm short of the glory of God. Right. You're a sinner, right? I mean, right. you've done something wrong, right? I've done something wrong. You've been done, yeah. We've all done something Okay, ne- next point.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, we can't just gloss over that. It's more than just, hey, I made a mistake. And you've mistaken. We're all humans, you know. To, uh, but no, no. I've incurred the wrath of God. I have rebelled against the holy. This this loving God that we picture, this this very gracious and this very condescending God, is a very clear picture. But I have spit in His face. I have stood against Him, rebelled against Him, and I incur His wrath. I deserve the very pits of hell because of that that's not something we like to think of but that if unless we unless we catch that we miss the the
1: greatness and the grandeur of the cross mm-hmm. if we don't first recognize our own sin yeah and and we minimize god's love yeah you know it's it's really that measure of what god was willing to do what he was willing to endure right. that shows how much he loves us if if he could just kind of wipe the slate clean and say, yeah, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. It's all fine Yeah, without doing anything. If he could do that, that would cost him nothing. right? You know, and and those things that don't cost us anything really don't mean anything to us. And so uh, it's an important measure of of God's love for us too. Yeah. And if we we just gloss over
0: that, we get a very hyped up view of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Well, of course God loves me. I'm me. Who wouldn't love me, right? (laughs) Why are you laughing? You shouldn't be laughing.
1: No, I'm not. (laughs)
0: But (laughs) but exactly, it it really gets back to my own self esteem, which is horrible. But Colossians two, I I love this this this. It's one of my favorite passages in Scripture, which is why I quote it so often verse 10 and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority in him you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and and the uncircumcision of your flesh your your own wickedness your own depravity god made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. And if we don't understand our own sin and our own trespasses, that means nothing. Mm-hmm. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. I mm-hmm. love that 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 whole f- picture. <laughs> canceling the, this, this debt of sin stood against me. It was a constant reminder of how horrible I am. It's a constant reminder of how much I've sinned, how depraved I am, how horrible I am. But that he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him mm-hmm. that's the greatness uh, of the cross Couching in that language of it's my sin that sent him here but here's what makes it great god wiped that all away the the sin that stood against me the legal demands that shouted my guilt god yes. forgiven nailed to the cross i don't have to worry about it anymore
1: and that's what makes this whole thing incredible so incredible and that, and that 's really only, the only way we can really grasp the freedom that he gives us that right. you know not only so, so, so it 's only once we grasp the weight of sin that we see the reality of his love, but it 's kind of only once we grasp the weight of sin that we feel the release of, of the burden too yeah. it 's kind of in coming to terms with the reality of of our fallenness and just yeah. how deep that runs and just how offensive that is to God right. that we can then begin to grasp the, that amazing freedom and joy that he gives us yeah. in grace. So we move to dangers to avoid. And I think we've talked
0: about ignoring our need for the atonement. Mm-hmm. We are sinful people, and we can't ignore that. You lose the gospel if you yes. if you lose that. Yep. But then getting into some more controversial topics, and I, and I almost fear to tread in this area <laughs> because a lot of my Reformed brethren are going to hate me for saying this, but the idea of the extent of the atonement. There's a lot of debate. Mm-hmm as a as a Calvinist, one of those the the points the five points of tulip, the l a limited atonement mm-hmm. so Phil, what are your thoughts on? Is the atonement limited in its scope?
1: Well, it first made me chuckle that you put that in dangers to avoid. Uh, which I think kind of kind of gives a, a little bit of a hint maybe on on your perspective on it, but the limited atonement is is, is a really interesting idea. I think how people arrive at it is an is an interesting idea it 's the idea that Jesus did indeed die on the cross to pay for sins. The question is whose sins did he pay for right. and and so um, in in a limited atonement what they what what proponents of that do is, is they say, well, what Jesus Jesus died for the pe- for the sins of the elect. He died yeah. for the sins of the people that he knew would be saved, um, but not for the people that he knew wouldn't be saved. And so it's a limited atonement in the sense that, not in the sense that it's limited to a person who is saved, is yes. full atonement for them. But that the price Jesus paid was limited to those whom God knew would be saved. Yeah. And there's kind of underneath it there's kind of this this um it's really almost more sort of a logical right. deduction or a logical even maybe assumption from things we know about God and we know about 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 his plan because i i remember reading an article and it was just interesting to me because i do think it's an interesting question yeah the 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 author was saying god knows the plan and god in his in his omniscience and foreknowledge knows exactly who's going to be saved so so let's say there's frank and bob frank is going to be saved and bob is not God knows that. And the, the, the right. question this author kept coming back to over and over again is, why would Jesus pay the price for Bob for whom he knows right. is not going to be saved? Bob's never going to accept that. And why would God do that? Yeah. And that, that's, I think, kind of the question that plagues people who wrestle with it. Right. Um, Calvin actually said, I, I remembered this quote when he said we were going to do this. Well, I, I, looked, I remembered to look it up. God would have been inconsistent— in sending Christ to die for those he positively foreknew would be lost. Yeah. And so it's not it's not so much I don't want to be insulting here, but it's not so much a direct, disciplined biblical observation yeah. as it is a a conclusion from our understanding of God and his plan. And yeah. So you asked where I stand on it. Do you really want me to flow right into that, or yeah? Well, or I mean, to...
0: where I'm at, I, I'm at a firm question mark mm-hmm. um, because I do again as I believe in general the five points, what we call Calvinism. I don't, I don't like that term because sure. I don't follow John Calvin in many other areas. Yeah. And again, Calvin didn't even come up with these five points. Right. But I, I do believe in the the biblical doctrine of election. Mm-hmm. I do believe that God knew who would be saved and foreordained who would be saved before the foundation of the earth. And so it makes sense to me that he wouldn't necessarily die for people he knew would never, ever accept him, would mm-hmm. never part of his plan. That wouldn't even make sense to me that he would. But my goal is to be as biblical as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and because as you said... Uh, there, th- it's a logical deduction. I don't right. know if it's a scriptural deduction. There are a couple of verses that I struggle with. Um, I don't. I, there are there are verses that are commonly used against limnition, which I disagree with. Uh, for example, First John two two that he is a propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but the sins of the whole world. Mm-hmm. I see that as okay. Well, world doesn't mean every person who ever lived and mm-hmm. ever would. I don't think there is a context in which that is used in. Mm-hmm. Not only in scripture, but in even in general conversation. So, you know, in John three sixteen, for God to love the world that he gave. Mm-hmm. I, don't have a pro- I don't see a universal aspect to the atonement in that respect. But there are a couple of verses that just give me pause. 2 mm-hmm. Peter 2, 1, mm-hmm. we're talking clearly about false prophets, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there were. there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And master here is capitalized. So right. we're talking about God. We're talking about God buying or redeeming, purchasing uh, people who are clearly not saved, people who are clearly not on their way to heaven. And so I look at a verse like that, and I, I man, I, mm-hmm. I and, I've se- and I've seen people try to get around that, and I just haven't been satisfied with any of those explanations. And then also Hebrews two nine talking about Jesus tasting death for every person. Right. And I think, and so, first is like that give me pause. Right. So, I I, I am not offended at the, at the idea of limited atonement in any right. way. I I think it makes sense. I think it's probably true. But I have to be truthful to Scripture mm-hmm. above any system, whether it's Reformed theology or Calvin or whatever. And so, while I I want to full throatedly uh, stand by a limited atonement, I'm I just I'm hesitant.
1: Okay. Sure. Towards it.
0: Sure. Uh, because of verse uh, like, like I just said. But I, I will say, those of you who do get offended at this idea or just bristle at the even thought, Calvinists, Arminian, and everything in between, we could all stand together and say, Anyone who has a desire to be saved can be saved. Right. The doors of yes. heaven to open all who would walk through. The yes. gospel is given to every person. We have a command of God to preach the gospel to yep. every person. Um Charles Spurgeon, you say, Well, you know, if if men just had a scarlet E written on their chest, then I would only evangelize them. But Mm -hmm. until I see that, I'm preaching the gospel to everybody. Right. Exactly. And Spurgeon also wrote in his defense of the atonement that sometimes we had this idea of an elect people that's just a small little group. Mm -hmm. But we see in the Bible talking about uh, the elect being uh, outnumbering the stars in the sky. Yeah. So I have no reason to believe that anyone I come in contact can't be saved. Right. So uh, we talked about the, those things, but some other dangers to avoid. I haven't watched *The Passion of the Christ* recently, mm. mm-hmm. and I do remember enjoying it the time mm-hmm. I saw it. But one of the things that stands out about that movie is the graphic, violent right. nature of it, right. and the crucifixion. It was violent yes. and graphic and bloody, but that's not the emphasis that Scripture places on it. It's not the physical. Right. I think we sometimes we overemphasize. The physical pain of Jesus on the cross.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I, think, I think there's value in understanding the historical reality of what the cross was. And, and, and I don't think we can understand that yeah. without, I don't know, you need to see the passion, but without seeing the passion or reading or something... To yeah. understand just the truth of what that was, because the reality is, you and I don't see anything remotely right. like that, right. even watching the news. Yeah. And so, I I think there's a historical value in that. But that's exactly right. That it it's it's easy to zero in on that and ignore the the spiritual separation, which yeah. is is what the death really was, pain really was. Right. Uh, obviously, the cross hurt uh, devastatingly, but it was the it was a spiritual separation that was the real price to be paid and the and the thing that you know certainly probably had Christ weeping in the garden yeah i'm sure he wasn't looking forward to the hours on the cross i don't, right. I don't mean that but i don't think that that's what caused him to sweat blood yeah you know it was the separation from the father that that was the the real penalty and the real pain and that's that's what he cries out on the cross yeah. It wasn't just,
0: ow, oh, take these nails out, right. but it was, right. Father, you've abandoned me. Exactly. And finally, uh, I, I've heard this in many, many sermons, and I think it is anti-gospel. The idea of, okay, <laughs> let's, let's look at the cross and say, all right, this is what Jesus did for me. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do for him? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: It's, yeah, I mean, it's tempting. Yeah. Right? Because you want to motivate people, right. and you want them to take it seriously. And I want me to take it yeah. seriously. Yeah you know but but that creates the whole idea that i can repay god for yeah. this um forget that i have to just that i can yeah. um i can't and so there's no quid pro quo there's no yeah. give and take here you know it's our 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 obedience should be motivated by love right um and gratitude certainly to an extent but that sets up a dynamic that's just a dangerous dynamic
0: yeah it, it's Again, I I'd call it anti-gospel. The, the whole point of the atonement is to take away sin, take away the guilt, take away uh, the crushing burden of your sin so that you can live free. And now we're just heaping that guilt back on you right. and saying, now, now, look at all. And that's not the motivation of Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture to say, well, Jesus is looking down from heaven and saying, now, see, I, look at all I did for you, and this is the only thing you're right. doing. Right, this is me. all this you is, got? Yeah, yeah, it's, No. Alright, so in terms of personal application, well could I had, yes, sorry,
1: could I add one more danger? You could. And I, I again I I don't want to offend your listeners, but I think for those of us it struck me as I was thinking about this. For those of us with a little more of a theological bent, yeah. you know, who are, are a little more interested in the nuances of it. I think one of the real dangers of these biblical concepts and, and interestingly maybe the atonement in particular, which I I would love to have a conversation about that sometime, Mm. is that it's really tempting for this to immediately become an intellectual debate and not a movement of worship. Mm. Yeah. Because we immediately want to rush into limited atonement, unlimited atonement. We immediately want to rush into penal theory we talked a little bit yeah. about this beforehand or penal theory or crisis victor or yeah. how do those tie together do they tie together should we tie them you know and right. and those of us with a little more of a theological bent get get excited about and, and into these intellectual yeah. debates that are important maybe <laughs> maybe in certain areas they're less important than we think they are um, but all of this stuff you know theology should ultimately first move us to worship yeah Intellectual debate stuff later. But I think with things like this, it's really dangerous for us that once we talk atonement, we're immediately rushing to limited, yeah. unlimited. We're immediately rushing to the theories of what did Jesus pay mm. um, instead of of just being moved to sort of fall on our knees and say thank you. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Someone has
0: said, "If your theology doesn't lead to doxology, you're doing it wrong." Exactly right. Yeah, absolutely exactly right. And I think that's a trap that sometimes I can fall in personally. You know, because I do like the intellectual sure. stimulation of a of a discussion on some of these deeper issues, but that could be missing the point entirely. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of application. Mm-hmm. Crack open your theology book. No. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, I, I wrote down here, the cross sets you free. Then flee from legalism. Flee from the demands of the law. Yeah. Live the life that Christ has ordained for you to live. Right.
1: Under the freedom of Christ. Right, which is is, is free and joyful. And and it liberates us to obey. Yeah. It doesn't limit us to obey. You right. Know, it, it opens that door for us. And... And, and that's, that is a door of joy. And yeah. So... Uh,
0: in, in his book, Desiring God, John Piper gives the illustration of, mm-hmm. could you imagine uh, coming to your wife on your anniversary, pulling out some flowers, expensive flowers, here. I'm supposed to do this. It's our anniversary. <laughs> I guess if I didn't do this, I'd get in trouble. Right. And since I'm supposed, this is the expectation, here you go. You know, she's not going to be thrilled Mm-hmm. With that idea, mm. but if I'm, but in, in the same circumstance, if I can tell her how much I love her mm-hmm. and how much I pre- and I'm just enthralled. Here, I bought this for you because I really wanted. Well, that's a whole different story. Right. And, and so that's kind of you know if we go through a legalistic view of the Christian life that I have to do this and I have to follow this and I have mm-hmm. to do this so many times a day or whatever. That that's grace killing,
1: joy killing, living that you. Christ didn't die for that. Well, in fact, he kind of died exactly not for that. Right. You know, because you could make an analogy, that's the law. Yeah. You know, that's the system they were under. You gotta do it this way, you gotta do it at this time, you gotta say these words. Right. And and that's exactly what he what he fulfilled, whatever word you want to say, so that we don't have to live that that right. confined life in front of him, but that it can be a life of obedience that's yeah. motivated by joy and gratitude and love. So what kind of books or what would you
0: recommend for people wanting to go in deeper into this?
1: Well, I I there were there were two that came to mind immediately for me and and um one of them is Making Sense of Salvation by Wayne Grudem. Hmm. Um I I thought that was I like the way he phrases things and and the insights in that. And then, in terms of, of the atonement, you, you also came up with this one. But I was there's there's one that's called perspective on the extent of the atonement. Three yeah. views, um, and I remember you know I remember first coming across way back in the day, there was a there were a series of books that I, I believe it was the navigators put out. It could have been university, and it was three views on, and they yeah. had three views on a whole bunch of stuff. And I I remember it was it was really pivotal for me. Um, I came across the book Three Views on the Rapture,
0: okay, yeah. and
1: uh, and since then I've had a lot more exposure to that. But it was pivotal for me to see that these are really smart, yeah. really godly, Bible respecting people right. looking at Scripture and coming up with each of these three conclusions. Right. You know, and I think even so, the so so taking the notion of the atonement limited, unlimited. You know, and then an odd sort of third hybrid view. Yeah. But um, these are believing people yeah. that want to seek God, that love right. God, that want to know God. And, and and I think those views that help us see, okay, this is a thoughtful, yeah. scriptural, prayerful right. person. is Is an important exposure to have. The only problem I have with that book is...
0: Carl Truman takes a limited atonement perspe- limited perspective. Right. And I, I, I'm a weird person, as you've already figured out, but sometimes if I know the author mm-hmm. and if I've heard the author before, Carl Truman has his own podcast and I've listened to several of his lectures, but I tend to read the book in the voice of that person. <laughs> and, you know, he has that thick British he accent, yeah, he does. and it, yeah. it irritates me. But anyway, I don't know. I just, but but it, it's a really good book. A couple of books I have. Uh, the Truth of the Cross by R.C. Sproul is actually a free download right now from Ligonier Ministries. Actually, I don't know if it'll be a free download by the time this podcast airs, but it's still worth buying. Hmm. It's a little book. It, it the, the end... Uh, goes about 10 different questions he answers, which is really good. The Cross of Christ by John mm-hmm. Stott is kind of like his magnum opus yep. uh, book. Uh, I read that in college. That was really helpful. And then uh, recently was given um, – well, actually, back up. I don't even have this on my list, but it is well. Uh, expository, expositions on Substitutionary Atonement from Mark Dever and Michael Lawrence. Mm. really goes through some of the passages we went through today – And uh, is really helpful, it's readable. And then finally, from a limited atonement perspective, uh, a big book, From Heaven He Came and Sought Her, which I have read portions of. I haven't read the whole book, I was just given this. Thank you, uh, Josh Dotzel from Janesville, who is supposed to be on this podcast at some point, but hasn't committed to an exact time or date. So if you're listening, get right with God. But thank you for the book. (laughs) <laughs> so you've got folks like J.I. Packer, John Piper, and others uh, writing chapters in this, and it's hmm. it's, I it's seen that. Uh, helpful. Anyway, all right. Well, Phil, thanks for joining us again, and thank all of you for joining us. So have a great rest of your week. Check us out on Twitter at Basic Bible Cast, and then share us on whatever social media uh, you have. So have a great week.